is that, <laughs> is that we are good to go. So, good morning, everybody. <laughs> it is good to see you today. How many people are excited to worship on Palm Sunday? Yes. Yes, it is good to be together in the house of the Lord, actually worshiping King Jesus together. And so what we have is a great opportunity not only to worship our King today on Palm Sunday, but even over the course of the week, set your heart apart in consecration, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, a life laid down for our sins to bring us back into relationship with a holy, righteous God, the God who sacrificed everything everything to have you back in his life. And so with that in mind, we are also going to next week as we celebrate our Easter celebration, celebrate with the sacrament of communion. So come ready to do that. And if you are online watching with us, please have something ready, bread and juice, where you can celebrate that with us next Sunday as well. And so today we have the very special privilege of introducing to many of you, many of you know him, but many of you do not. I'm going to introduce to you a very special person in our lives. Um, Pastor Jim, and Angie Critcher. They have actually been worldwide ministers, ministering prophetically over the course of many decades to the body of Christ at large. I told uh, the people this yesterday that actually a special little uh, fact is that even when B and I were getting married, they were helping to sow the word of God into our lives in premarital counseling so that we could build on the rock of Christ and also so that I could get things worked out in my life. How many people say amen, Rollin? <laughs> okay, so that I could properly love and serve and lead my wife. And so with that in mind, he's got a word from the Lord for us today. So would you, with all of your heart and affection, welcome Pastor Jim Critcher today. All right. Well, good morning. My goodness, everybody's just so pretty and alive and participatory. We could just get a little excitement out of your pastor. It would be all right, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. What a great spot. It's wonderful to be back post-COVID. Come on. Everybody has recovered from PCSD, some post-COVID stress syndrome. All right. So, but here we are after two, after two years, but it is just a, a delight to indeed be with you. Turning your Bibles this morning to the book of John, if you would. And we're going to be in the fourth chapter just for a moment. But as has already been mentioned a couple of times this morning, of course, we are on this, in this moment, celebrating Palm Sunday. Of course, that, that, expect, that, that preparatory expectation of this man, Jesus, this, could it be that this is the Messiah that we have been longing for? Palm Sunday, expectations are high, celebrations abound. But how many of you know what a difference just a few days can make? I mean, for all of the celebration, who would have thunk while all of the noise was going on, while all of this worship was happening, that these very same people that were exalting and worshiping this Jesus would be the very ones in just a few days which would probably be saying, crucify him. Then they would have to deal with the aftermath of his death and then have to figure out, you mean he's not dead? 
expectations all over the place. You know, every issue of life that you and I have are on the basis of met or unmet expectations. Would you agree with that? Every one of us go into every encounter of our life with an expectation. If we go to Starbucks and we order a latte, we have an expectation that what's going to be in that cup is a what? Come on now. And yet, what the, the, the thing that we have to navigate as men and women is what happens when those expectations are not met. What happens? And this is the real crux of doing relationship and doing life together, is when those relationships don't come to pass. And here we are in this seminal moment. We find yet another story. In John 4 of expectations, the Samaritan woman has come to this well just to draw the needed water for her household. Nothing special about uh, what she's doing. She does, she does it every day. We don't have indoor plumbing in a moment like that. And so she's coming to this well to just get natural water for her family. And she encounters this guy. He says, give me a drink. And she says, now, wait a minute. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now, understand, all of, all, we, we, we've already broken through all kinds of barriers. Number one, here's Jesus talking to a woman. I mean, his disciples show back up from going to the local bodega, and here's Jesus and count, talking to this woman. This, can't believe he's talking to a woman, man. And not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. And so she recognizes, you know, what a conflict this must be. He says, give me a drink. And she begins then to cop an attitude and push back. She says, how is it that you would ask me? And you don't, and the, and, and the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw water. And Jesus said, woman, if you had any idea who you were talking to. Now, we don't get, we don't get an idea that there's a lot of hubris in that statement. Like, you know, it's just that, woman, you have no idea. Because if you really knew who it was that you were speaking with, you'd be asking him for water. He said, go call your husband. And then, of course, he gives her this amazing word of knowledge. Well, I don't have a husband right now. You're right. You're going through them. You know, you've already been through five, and the one you're living with is not yours. And then she has this astounding revelation. I perceive that thou art a prophet, you think? It's a pretty good word of knowledge. And then an amazing thing happens. And we find this in John 4. It says, leaving her water jar. It says, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it be this is the Christ? And then it says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. You know what's astounding to me about this passage and about this encounter? Jesus only uses one prophecy. One word knowledge. And an entire town changed. Incredible. We're not talking about someone being raised from a dead, raised from the dead. We're not talking about someone's child who was ill. Now being healed, we're talking about a single word of knowledge. Come and see. Come and see. 
You see, this woman went to the well for natural reasons. She came away from that well with something far beyond. She didn't just come away with natural water. She came away with what? Spiritual water. She came to a well and she left a well. That now water was flowing what? Out of her rather than water always flowing toward her. You realize this is what God is wanting to do in your life and my life. It's not just to find out how big our container of need can get, how big our expectation can get so that God can continue to fill it. But he's looking to figure out what are you going to do with that which you already have, that water that's already flowed in, that oil that has already come. Many believers get into a place and they realize there's nothing flowing through my life, although we're told that out of our bellies would flow rivers of what? Living water. I'll get to that later. And yet, very much like the, the story of the widow in 2 Kings, the prophet said, go get containers, and she begins to pour the oil, and as long as there was room for the oil to flow, what happened? The oil flowed, but when the containers got full, the oil stopped. For many of us, we wonder, why am I not experiencing God the same way that I did back then? What happened? The real question is, there's always water, there's always oil. The question is, is there always room? How do you make more room? You pour out what you already have. And so many Christians, they live their life more, 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 and God is saying, what are you doing with what you've already got? Is there any room in there for, quote, any more? And this woman's life is transformed on the basis of this word. But it says she left her water. The very thing that she came for all of a sudden became less important. An exchange of the natural for the supernatural. The temporal for the eternal. Interesting. That we can take our physical needs, our kind of, our what about Bob moments. I need, I need, I need. God knows we need. But we set those things aside. We take our, our, our water jar of our natural wants and needs and set them aside and realize God wants a different container from us. Many times the containers we bring become constrainers of those things that God wants to pour out in our life. It's why we need a new wineskin. That maybe is something we've never seen before. Pastor Rowland and I, we, we read a lot of the same things. And many folks are talking about the demise of the church. All these churches that, quote, went out of business during the pandemic. Every time you pick up, the, you, you pick up some time of media, the, the, the millennials are just leaving the church in droves. And we've got the, all the unaffiliateds now. And so it seems like a bad time to be in the church business in the United States. I'm getting ready to tell you it's the very best time. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment because I believe that we are on the precipice of one of the greatest outpourings of God in generations. I fully believe it. In that God started with the plow of COVID. He's still dragging a plow now with the situation going on in the Ukraine and other spots around the world. God is preparing the ground for harvest. I'm just telling you. But the real question for you and me this morning is, are we ready to receive that which God wants to pour out 
upon us. And the question should always be the same that this Samaritan woman had before Jesus. Where can I get this? And this is not a one-time question. As we come to the front, figuratively speaking, and we make that initial decision to allow Jesus into our hearts, that has to be a question we ask every day of our life. Where can I get this living water? And that water, let me just tell you where it is. It's inside of every one of us that know Jesus Christ. This is where that water is. But listen to me. You're the one that has your hand on the, on the valve, on the spigot. You know, you and I, when we, when we, in our homes, we go to the sink and we turn the little knob. And you know what happens most of the time, correct? What happens? Water comes out. It's not complicated. We absolutely take it for granted that there is water that is under pressure waiting to come out. Do you realize that that is a picture of what the Holy Spirit is in your life and mine? Is He's there, full, waiting for you and I to open our mouth, so to speak, open the valves of our life, and allow God to flow through and to flow out. My goodness. Where can I get this living water? That has to become our preoccupation. And yet... Many times we find ourselves at one of three unique places. And I want to look at this just for a second this morning from the life of the prophet Elisha. Now, Elisha is just, it's one of my part-time studies. I love the prophet Elisha. We don't have an inscripturated book of Elisha. We don't have a book of Elijah as far as that goes. And what we know Elisha was the disciple of Elijah. Elijah, you know, the Mount Carmel guy, the showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration guy. I mean, this is this the man. Well, Elisha was his disciple for 12 years following him around. Elisha is an interesting character in Scripture in that we see in Elisha what we call a type in the Old Testament of Jesus. We see many even of the miracles that Elisha did sort of, if you wish, prefigure those things that we see even in the ministry of Christ. And so Elisha is a very, very interesting figure in Scripture. And yet it's interesting as we look at Elisha, the first three miracles recorded in the Bible all deal with water. Now, what's really interesting is that the first recorded miracle that we see in Scripture that Jesus did also involved what? Water. If you remember that story, turning water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana. And so we see these correlations, which I believe are more than just interesting. But we will find ourselves many times at one of three places reflected in some of these stories of Elisha's ministry. The very first is 2 Kings, the second chapter. This is when Elijah is up to heaven. Now, this is the way that we all want to go right here. No fuss, no muss, no pain, you know, no, uh, no prearrangements, no hospice, none of this. Just, whoom, and we're gone, all right? Now, good luck with that. Hope it works for you. You know, I'm not holding out for it for myself necessarily, but 
But in this moment, after a dozen years of following Elijah, Elijah and Elisha find themselves at the banks of the Jordan River. And Elijah takes his mantle, his cloak, representative of his authority, and he touches the Jordan. It parts. They walk across. It's a pretty good party trick, by the way. They walk across. And then Elijah looks at Elisha, and he says, what can I do for you? And Elisha says, man, I want a double portion anointing of what you've got. That's pretty bold. I mean, this is a dude that shut off all the rain on the planet for three and a half years. And so he's asking in that moment, I, I, want, I want twice of what you have. Now, what's remarkable, if you do the, the numbers, and I actually had a, a, an opportunity to talk to uh, R.T. Kendall about this, because Elisha, he just finished a new book on Elisha, by the way, that's coming out. And we were talking about the ministry of Elisha. And it's interesting to note that of the 14 recorded miracles of Elijah, we see 28 recorded miracles of Elisha. It's pretty cool. Number 28 was actually done after Elisha was dead. They threw a corpse on his bones, and the corpse came to life. Let me tell you, when you can raise the dead when you is dead, that's, pretty, that's, a, that's a pretty powerful anointing. Let me just put it that way. And so here's Elisha asking his mentor, I want twice of what you've got. He said, you've asked a tough thing. But if you see me when I, when I head out, you can have it. And sure enough. Horses and chariots of fire, Elijah's taken up, and phoom, but something's left behind, his mantle. And Elisha is there, and he reaches down, and he picks up Elijah's mantle. He thought, huh. And he touches the Jordan River and the Jordan parts, and he walks across. See, initially, he walked across in Elijah's anointing. He walked back across on his own. Let me tell you, you can't walk in somebody else's anointing your entire life. At some point, you've got to pick up that which Christ has apportioned for your life. You've got to pick up the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that he himself has left behind for you and I to reach down. And he says he walked across on dry ground. Listen to me. The very first situation that we will often find ourselves is needing to part the water to move into our promise. The priests had to stand in the middle of the Jordan River. Joshua's there. They need to cross over. But guess what? The Jordan is at what? Flood time. Why? Because the Jordan is always at flood time at the time of harvest. My wife and I have been to Israel. We've seen that muddy river. But we saw it at a time when it wasn't flood tide. So it was maybe, I don't know, 30, 20, 30 yards wide. But at harvest time, it comes up so that it's maybe three or 400 feet. I mean, it's, it's extraordinarily wide at harvest. Listen to me. I believe that many of you are facing Jordans in your life that seem impossibly too wide to begin to cross. And you're right, you can't. But let me tell you why. It's because it's harvest time. It's harvest time for many of your lives. And you feel like there's no way to get across this. There's no way to get across whatever this obstacle is to get me from here over to my promised land, over to that which God has promised me. My wife and I, we've been 
We've been around a while. Well, just me. She's still young. <laughs> but when we came into the things of God in the 1960s and 70s, let me just tell you, culturally, things were much different. I mean, we were the pre-internet, pre-Columbine babies. And you're facing things culturally, societally, internationally, spiritually, that are very different than what we faced 40 years ago. But let me tell you why. Is that the Jordan is always at flood tide and the most dangerous at the time of harvest. And I believe that we're seeing these convergence of things come together. And whether it's pandemics or whether or not it's international upheaval, listen to me, it's harvest time. But it will require the anointing and the power of God to part the river that is separating you from promise. God's given you that very anointing, but you've got to do something with it. For Elisha, it did no good just to lament that his mentor was gone and to leave the mantle on the ground. Jesus himself told his, told his disciples, I'm leaving. And by the way, it's a good thing I'm going. Can you imagine how that conversation must have gone down? Seriously, dude? What do you mean you're leaving? They think we're nuts. We've left everything behind. You're the only reason we're here, and you're saying it's good that we're going. He said, yeah, it's good. Because unless I go, another won't come behind me, the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood it required his leaving for the Holy Spirit to be released. This mantle that God wants you and me to pick up in order to help cross the Jordans that we're facing. Amen? Are you still with me? Amen. We find another story from Elisha. 2 Kings again, 2nd chapter. And he's there and he's at Jericho. Now, Jericho is a very interesting place. Any of you that even walked through Sunday school one time growing up, You've heard a couple of stories in the Bible. One of them was Jericho. You know, the walls, and we marched around for six days, and the seventh day we yelled, and the walls fell. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool story. But there's a there's, the little thing happened right there with Jericho. Joshua declared a curse on Jericho. And he said, Cursed is anyone who attempts to rebuild this city. And for 500 years... Jericho remained under that spoken curse until this moment right here. Jericho was an amazing spot. It was in the lower Jordan Valley, very fertile. It was a trade route. It was an immigration route. It was so fertile, as a matter of fact, it, was, it actually had palm trees. And if you've ever seen pictures of Israel or you've been there, you know that it's, it's primarily desert. But, this, but Jericho was this ideal piece of dirt. It's incredible. And so the men of the city came to Elisha and said, you can, you can see that the land is well situated, but what? The water is bad, and it produces death. You know, God spoke to me at the beginning of this year out of this passage, and I don't have time to fully unpack this. But... He said, son, he said, the United States is very much like Jericho. He said, it's well situated. He said, yet the water is bad. And it's producing death. 
we find ourselves in this moment of, well, what do we do about it? Elisha said, get me a new bowl and put salt in it. Now, there was nothing mystical or magical about this. This was simply a prophetic act. And if you'll just allow me for a moment to just expand on that, that new bowl simply represents, if you wish, something that nothing else is in. As I spoke earlier, it's empty, so to speak, waiting for something else to go inside of it. Also, the fact that it was a new bowl is that there was nothing else that had commingled with it. Nothing else had ever been in there. And then he says, fill it with salt. Now, salt is a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting substance. We know that salt can sterilize. We know it can enhance. We know it can preserve. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said that we are the what? The salt of the earth. And yet it's an amazing thing about salt. Until you get salt out of the container, it just sits on the table. What do you have to do to get salt out of the shaker? It's called a shaker for a reason. You have to shake it to get it out. Something has to happen. There has to be motion. There has to be activity. And I believe that God is so intent many times, though the salt that is inside of the church, if God has to shake it in order to get the salt out into the culture that it might preserve it, God will shake us to get it out. And some of you have even found your life a bit shaken. And you're wondering, what's going on? God is saying, I want the salt out because it's got a purpose. It's got a purpose in Chicago. It's got a purpose to a half a million college students. It's got a purpose in a nation. It's to get the salt out of the church into the culture. He throws that salt into the water supply and an amazing thing happens. It says, that all of a sudden now the water was healed. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. There is a priestly role that God intends for the church that only the church can fulfill. We're it. There's no one else coming. I'm, that might be a little scary, but look around. No one else is coming. We're it. We are those priests that, if you wish, are going to have to stand in that Jordan and wait for folks to cross. We are the ones that are going to have to stand in the gap and intercede for a nation. Because we are a nation that's well-situated, but what? The water's bad. And listen to me. I love this country. I'm not, I'm here. I'm in it. But I've got to understand the unique role that God called you me too, that God has called the church to in this moment. And then we have to also be aware of what is that water flowing through? What is the vessel that God wants to see that water come forth in our lives? My wife is a water connoisseur. We live up in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and so we literally pull our water out of a mountain aquifer. I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's amazing water. But yet my water, my, 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 my wife is not only a water aficionado, but she's also a tea aficionado. Okay. And so she would get up in the morning and I hear the water running in the kitchen. It's like, honey, what are you doing? She says, I can taste the pipes. 
for reals? I can taste the pipes. I said, right. You know, after, after 44 years of marriage, you just learn to just agree with certain things. You just, you just don't push back anymore. You say, yes, honey, I got it. All right. But we begin to have some other plumbing issues, and so we had the Culligan guy come and put in one of these Tesla firewall battery, I don't know what, all I know is it's big and it was expensive, all right? But it changed, it, it changed the water a bit because what was happening is that was actually, our water was so pure and so hard, it was leaching the copper out of the pipes into the water, and my wife, she could taste it. Now, I'm, a, I'm an idiot, you know, to me, just you know, bread it and fry it and put some ketchup on it, we're good to go. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm sorry, I have no palate whatsoever, you know what I'm saying? Um, but but she, she's discriminating, she, and so sure enough, and after the fact, I would taste this water, and it's like, wow, it tastes like water now. It's amazing. It really doesn't taste like I'm licking copper. I mean, it's incredible. You realize that the water that God wants to flow out of the wells of your life and mine, God doesn't intend for it to taste like you and me. The world doesn't want just a slightly better version of itself. This is not about Rollin 2.0. He just doesn't cuss as much. <laughs> the world is not looking for new and improved humanity coming from the church. They're looking for Christ. They're looking for God. They're looking for this water to come up out of us as unflavored as possible. Which means that we have to do something to be sure that the water flowing out of your life and my life into this culture Come on. It's the purest water that we can possibly have flow. I mean, we, we, many times we just want to get right. We want to get healthy so we can feel better about ourselves and not be in conflict with the mirror every day. But it's not just about that. It's about getting healthy enough that what's flowing out of our life now is not affected. Everybody? Okay. But what happens, we've talked about when there's too much water, whether Jordans that are separating us from our promise. We've talked about when there's bad water and what needs to happen. But what happens when there's simply no water? We find yet another Elisha story over in the third chapter of the same Second Kings. We find an unlikely alliance of three kings, king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Moab. And they've come together to collect taxes. And so they create a military strategy of going through the desert. Rather than a roundabout march, they thought, well, we're going to cut straight through. It'll be, give us the element of surprise. It'll take the least amount of time to get there. It'll be, give us military advantage. However, there's just one problem. It's possible we cannot pack in enough water to get us safely through. So they tried it anyway, and exactly that happened. They ran out of water. After a roundabout march, it says that there was no more water left for their livestock, no more water left for the soldiers. 
So there they are, stranded, stuck in the desert. You know, let me say this. Many of us find ourselves in deserts and we're out of provision. You know why? Because they're deserts God never called us into. Listen to me carefully. God will occasionally call us into deserts to deal with things in our lives. Elijah, he ran out into the desert, and yet God met him out there. Jesus himself was tempted by Satan in the desert, but it was divine orientation. It was divine origin that got him there. Many of us find ourselves in the middle of these deserts and we look around and we start crying out for food and for water and saying, oh God, and God's saying, what? <laughs> I didn't call you out here. See, wherever God calls us, he makes provision for it in advance. And so many of us, like these three kings and these, they, these armies combined, they find themselves there because guess what? God didn't call them there. And then one of the kings says to the other, has God called us three kings together for us to die in the desert? Well, the reality is, no, he hadn't. He hadn't called them at all. And then Jehoshaphat said, you know, there's this one guy, his name is Elisha. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He said, well, go get him. So they summon Elisha. Now listen to this. Most of the time when we see prophets interacting with kings in the Old Testament, the kings, the, the prophets are approaching kings with a word from God. God's giving them a command. Go tell Ahab. Go tell. In this case, the kings are summoning the prophets. Let me just tell you, there is a flip coming in our culture where all of a sudden now the kings are going to begin to call on the prophets. And not just the prophets, but by extension, where prophets find themselves, the church. We're finding now that 10 or 15 years ago, where school systems were saying, nope, sorry, can't do your Bible club here. We don't need your help. We've got it all figured out with our educational philosophies. Now, all of a sudden, these same schools are saying, please come. We have no we're doing we have no idea how to stave off this violence and this suicide and all of these things anything you can do to help us come on and we're finding now as we have broken things as humanity has broken things that legislatively educationally philosophically medically they can't help all of a sudden now they're saying just like these kings they're summoning elisha and Elisha begins to look, and he says, huh, you know, Jehoshaphat, it's good that you're here, because if you weren't, I wouldn't give you fools time of day. <laughs> but he says, give me, bring me a harpist. And a harpist begins to play. It's also a picture of worship, by the way. I don't have time to unpack all this. But he begins to play, and then the prophet begins to prophesy. He said, you will see neither wind nor rain. Now, understand, in this part of the world, is that there were always manifestations that would happen before there was rain. And there was none of that in this particular case. Still sunny outside. He said, all of the usual manifestations, you're not going to see this time. 
So you can be all the Holy Ghost weatherman you want to be. I'm just telling you, you ain't going to see what you think you, you've seen in the past. He says, you're not going to see that. He said, but make this valley full of ditches. For tomorrow morning, I'm going to fill it with water. Now, let me tell you what's interesting about that. I studied this in that they were not digging new ditches is that there were wadis, which were really just more kind of depressions where water once flowed in the past. And so really what they were doing is they were clearing out what had already, places where water had already grown. So they were like full of scrub bushes and, 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 and sand and everything else. So what they were having to do was to go through and clear out places where water had once flowed. Let me tell you. It begs a question in your life and mine as well. What has clogged up our lives so that the water is not flowing the way it used to? That, that's a question for the contemporary church today, as a matter of fact. What have you gotten so full of in terms of your programs, in terms of your orders of service, in terms of whatever it might? What have you gotten so full of that the water can't flow? And so they begin to clear out these ditches. And sure enough, guess what happened? Is that the next morning, it was full of water. And the water, it says, it flowed from the direction of Edom. In other words, it was coming from the wrong place. At the very time that these soldiers that were dying of thirst, that were clearing ditches, doing manual labor with no encouragement from the sky whatsoever that anything was going to change. For all they knew, as they were clearing out these wadis, they were digging their own graves because they had no encouragement whatsoever that anything was going to change. There were thunderstorms that were happening up in the mountains. And water began to flow. Water began to come down and fill these depressions. And something else happened as well. It's their enemies. As they begin to see the sun and it was reflecting off of this water, it looked like blood. And they made a bad assumption. Well, they've already killed themselves. So let's just go down. And they literally, their enemies just came right down and they were slaughtered in that place. You see, the prophet had also prophesied, by the way, I'm going to give you your enemies as well. And by the way, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Let me tell you, when we get busy opening up these wadis, adjusting our expectations, stop looking at the sky for signs and wonders, and we begin to get to the business of what God has called us to. And that what God has called us to do, you dig, I'll fill. And many times, it's so difficult for us because we've already found ourselves out of water. Unexpected places. Warfare becomes a byproduct. Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Amen. One last story in closing. Elisha broke a 500-year curse at Jericho. But the very first thing we see the prophet Elijah doing in 1 Kings 17 was declaring a curse on the land. Remember what he said? He says, it will neither rain nor dew 
at my command till I say so. Pretty amazing. And what was this? This wasn't just Elijah showing his stuff, but it's a refutation. It was a curse that he was placing on that land on the basis of the sins of Ahab and Jezebel. And yet it was Elijah himself three and a half years later after Mount Carmel. And he goes up and he begins to pray. And he says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. Saints, hear me. I hear the sound of heavy rain. It's coming. And as I mentioned earlier, all of these things that have, we've, uh, these unprecedented things that we've seen is such a compressed period of time. Once again, a global pandemic. Unprovoked attack on Ukraine. And there's more coming. But don't worry about the specifics of that. But these are serving, let me just tell you, they are serving to make preparation for the heavy rain that is coming. And the question for you and for me on this Palm Sunday is how will we adjust our expectations to translate into preparation? Expectations are one thing, but expectations without preparation don't communicate much, do they? We continue to do the same, guess what? Because we expect the same. And God is looking for His church. He is looking for a people who will adjust their expectations to the reality of the moment. I hear the sound of heavy rain. Where do you find yourself today? Probably in one of three places. You find yourself in this moment of Standing at your Jordan, your promise is there, you're here. And somehow that water's got a part for you to get from this place to that place. Let me tell you, God's about to do it. Maybe you find yourself just like these three kings. And you found yourself maybe even in a desert of your own making. Let me just tell you, God will meet you. Even in spite of, God will meet you. So that the living water, the water's a revival. And saints, I'll close with this. Listen, so many times that I've heard so many revivalists begin to pontificate, begin to prophesy over what the next move of God would be. You know, how will the water, the Ezekiel 47 waters coming from the throne, how are they going to come forth? Are they going to come forth like Azusa Street in 1906, like the charismatic renewal of the 1960s and 70s? Let me just tell you, I believe the waters of revival are already here because they're inside of you and me. And God is looking, will the church release the waters of revival that are already there? Pray with me. Lord, this Palm Sunday, sweet. Remember, many, many years ago, they, there were expectations of this Jesus, this Messiah, 
those messiahs, that those, those expectations were pretty much turned upside down in every which way over the coming days. Lord, help us adjust our expectations. God, we want to be, God, those rivers of living water. We thank you that you are the source, but that, God, that flows now through you and through me. It flows through us. God, let the church be the people that you have always designed that it would be. Peculiar, different, yes. But God, everywhere that that water flowed, it said that the environment changed. Trees grew. Fish showed up. And God, let us hear, like the prophet, the sound of heavy rain. Revival coming into our lives, both personally, once again, into our cities, our campuses, into this nation and to the nations. God, thank you that you've allowed us to be alive in such a moment. It is not random. It is not accidental. It is providential. So God, we receive, God, this great calling. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can everybody give God Almighty a hand clap, please? That's a word of encouragement. It's a word of exhortation for us. But it's also a word that, as the psalmist prayed, exhorts us to search our own hearts, right? Where the Bible clearly says, Lord, search me and try me and see if there is any offensive way in me so that, God Almighty, you might lead me in the way everlasting not only to these living waters, but to, as Pastor Jim was talking about today, being a distributor of those living waters in Jesus' mighty name by the power of his Holy Spirit. So as we go back into worship um, today, can we do that together? Can we allow God Almighty to search our hearts and to not just be hearers of the word, but say, God Almighty, would you do a work in me today? Would you remove the obstacles? Would you remove that which has clogged up my well? Would you remove the things that have been prevented me from actually living in the pure stream of God to be a vessel in the hand of the Lord for the glory of God? Can we do that together today as we go back into worship? Okay, so let's rise together. We're going to sing songs to God, and at the end, we're going to have a moment of response where we do that together in Jesus' name.